Well, uh, as you guys may know, um, at one point I used to live in northern Iraq, kind of near, kind of near the border of uh, Iran. And I found out that there's this certain kind of poisonous snake living kind of on that border area. And uh, it's an interesting name. It's called the Spider-Tailed Horned Viper. It's a very scary name. Um, but as the name may imply, at the tip of the snake's tail, the scales kind of stick out to make it look a lot like the kinds of spiders that live around that region. And uh, what happens is it uses that to get food. So you might imagine like a bird flying around and um, looking around for lunch for, bird, for bugs to eat, and it might look down and say, oh, there's a spider. It might fly down there and think there's lunch, but actually it's not lunch. It's the tail of this dangerous you know, viper that's hiding there except for his tail. And then, um, well, the bird, very much deceived, becomes lunch itself for the viper. Um, now, I don't eat spiders, so I've never come across a snake, thankfully. But tonight we'll see another kind of serpent who also deceives and who is after us with um, other kinds of attractions and deceptions. So, we'll look tonight at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5. We'll see a dialogue here between Eve and this serpent. So, just to give you some background, in Genesis 1 and 2, God had created the universe, the heavens and the earth, and he made man in his image according to his likeness to rule over the earth that God made, and God called it very good. And the Lord planted the Garden of Eden, And the Garden of Eden is where God dwelt on earth. And the Lord put Adam in the garden to care for it. With a clear instruction in Genesis 2.16, God tells Adam, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. After this instruction, the Lord gave Adam the power to name the animals. And it was through naming the animals that God helped Adam to realize that he was alone. And the Lord formed the woman, Eve, and brought her to Adam to help in this God-given task as his wife. And we pick up the story in Genesis 3, 1 to 5. I'll just read that for us. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had, God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Hmm. I think the main point we'll see tonight is that our adversary, the devil, speaks lying words to deceive us about the true goodness of God to us. Again, the devil speaks lying words to deceive us about God's true goodness to us. And I think we'll see that as we walk through these verses. I'll walk through verses 1 through 5, then we'll have um, three applications at the end. So let's look at verse 1. All of a sudden we have this serpent. There's no explanation about who the serpent is. Earlier in chapter 1 and 2, it just kind of shows up. And 
we as readers are kind of in Eve's position. Just out of nowhere, this creature just starts talking. And that's really how temptation is, isn't it? Just comes out of nowhere, you're just minding your own business, and then temptation just hits you. Um, where'd that come from? So we don't know what form the serpent is exactly, but we know it's talking, and it's crafty. And we know from later books of the Bible that this is the power of the devil somehow. Well, let's now let's focus on what the serpent says to the woman. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So the, serpent, the serpent starts to question God and misquote God. Okay, so it kind of starts out, um, and this wording is almost exactly like God's original command in 2.16 where God said, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. And the serpent quotes from God's command, but adds one little word that changes the meaning entirely. The word not. It's important. Uh, And he tries to get Eve to question what she knows about what God said. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. In these next verses, Eve corrects the serpent. and says, "We, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. And the woman tries to tell the serpent what God actually said about what shouldn't be eaten. It's the fruit of the tree, that one tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat that. You shouldn't eat that. Um, now the woman adds, neither shall you touch it, which isn't in God's original command in 2.16. So some have wondered, is Eve adding to God's word here? Um, I mean, can't really be sure. Maybe God gave a separate instruction to Eve. I, I don't know. Um, but I imagine maybe it was Adam who added this on. I could just imagine Adam just saying, look, just don't even touch it. Just leave it alone. Um, but in any case, the woman gets the result right. She says, lest you die. So the woman knows enough about what God has said. Uh, that God has given them an abundance of good food. All the other trees in the garden are theirs. But don't eat the food of that one tree. If you eat it, you'll die. She understands. But already the serpent has introduced this question to her mind that it's possible to question God's good intentions for her. So looking at verses 4 and 5 now. The serpent responds. So look at these verses. Now before in verse 1, the serpent misquoted God's command. Now he directly contradicts God. The serpent takes that little word, not, and uses it for another purpose. He says, you will not surely die. You see, the serpent keeps putting the word not in the wrong place. Um, when God says, what God says is so, the serpent says is not so. The serpent's accusing God of lying. Now, this may have surprised Eve, so uh, the serpent gives an explanation. He says that God knows that on the day they, they eat of it, their eyes will be open and they'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So so he's saying that God is hiding something. That God is hiding knowledge from them. Being sneaky. Now what's ironic about this is that God's the one who's been giving them knowledge. God's the one who created things for them to know. God's the one who created them as knowers. As who's the the one who's guiding them to know the animals, to lead them in discoveries as stewards of God's good earth. And they already are like God. They're made in God's image according to his likeness. And they have a relationship with him above the other creatures. Eve already has all. 
But the servant gets her to think that she doesn't, and it's all God's fault. Now, the serpent is correct about some things. Uh, He's contradicting God, but there is truth mixed in here in this passage. He says their eyes will be opened, yeah, uh, and that they will know good and evil. Well, he's right. The serpent's right. Uh, But there's a reason why God kept this from them. Adam and Eve already had all good and zero evil. But if they eat the fruit... It's true, they will know about good, that they've lost it, and get all the evil they never wanted in return, and death on top of all that. And we know what happens in the next verses. Um, Eve knows what God said, but instead of listening to what God said, she listens to what the serpent said. She chooses the serpent's word over God's word. She's the fruit, so does Adam. And the first thing they know is that they're ashamed. And they hide from God. They're banished from the garden and from God, and the earth is cursed. This is what we call the fall of man. Uh, that sin entered the world through this one first sin. And this lie of the devil murdered the human race. And even to this very day, the same temptations and deceptions call us away from the goodness of God. So, very sad verses, these verses 1 through 5. Let's consider now just a couple, three applications that can help us give hope, a true and undying hope, um, as as we reflect on this. The first... Trust in God's goodness. Trust in God's goodness. Like Eve, we too often just ignore the abundance that God has given us. And we focus on just on those things that we don't have. Doubting God's intentions. I mean, think about it. The God who created these massive galaxies, all the way down to the tiny little atoms, uh, and human beings who have these five senses, we can know all these wonderful, beautiful things, this God is good. He is, has our best interest in mind. And even when you don't always see it in the moment of testing, God is good, always good, all the time. Uh, there's a quote I really like that uh, was supposedly written on the inside wall of a prison. It goes like this. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when he is silent. God has reasons why he does what he does and for why he withholds what he withholds. For good ends. He loves you. He's already proven that to you. Let's remember that, to trust in God's goodness. Secondly, don't be deceived. The devil is after you. First Peter 5.8 says... Be alert, be watchful. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking, who, seeking someone to devour. The forces of darkness around us can really sound so persuasive against God. But don't let lies capture your imagination. I like what Thomas Merton says about the devil. He says the devil can get people, thinking, can get people feeling about heaven the way they ought to feel about hell. 
You can make them fear the means of grace the way they do not fear sin. And he does so not by light, but by obscurity. Not by realities, but by shadows. The devil's lies contain truth. He's misquoting God to contradict him. And so, you know, someone may say it's okay to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend or to give in to same-sex desires because of love. Love, love, it's all about love. Okay, well, yes, the Bible is full of love. God is love. And the arguments can sound like biblical arguments because they're taking data from the Bible and from God's good creation. And it sounds good, but, but the devil's work is to twist it, to deceive, to confuse, to go against what God has commanded you know, it's almost truth, but it isn't the whole story. You know, I mean, five plus five isn't nine. Nine may be close to ten, but it's, it's not the answer. Um, I think also of the Pharisees in John 8, as we saw this morning. They knew some truth about God, but they're slaves of sin and of Satan. They, they put a veil over their face so as not to see God as he truly is in the face of Christ. And that gets us to our third application is to listen to the promises of Christ. Um, now, now, if someone's here and if you don't have Christ in your life, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but, but you're just where the devil wants you. You're away from God and you're stuck in your sin and it's really not a good place to be. Um, but the good news is that God in Christ did something about the fall. This this good news is that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, came down and became a little baby and grew up as a man in a poor family and taught what is good. And he ends up, it's his purpose to end up getting impaled on a cross beams of, of wood taken from a tree for a purpose to forgive us of our sins, to pay for our sins, to take away death, to bring us life and goodness, and a goodness that's truly good. It's beyond our wildest imagination. Jesus promises in John 11, uh, he says, the one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. So you can be forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, if you believe in Christ. And if you have questions about that, you can ask one of us afterward. But because in Christ, we have this reversal of the serpent's deception at the tree. I really like this verse in 2 Peter 2.22-24. It says that, um, talking about Jesus, that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. This last verse is great. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So the cross has become the tree of life for us. We as believers in Christ must listen to Christ when we're tempted. There's a really great passage in 2 Corinthians 11.3 where Paul says, I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
So we need to listen to Christ to not be deceived. That's the key. I mean, kind of imagining that this bird, like, imagine like from the beginning, the bird flying around Iran and just looking around. If, if only the bird had a friend to say, hey, that's not food, that's the tail of a poisonous snake. Like, the bird would live, like the bird would, would survive this problem. And we have that same thing in Christ. Christ is our friend. He calls us his friends. So in those moments that we're in the fog of temptation, when we're confused, when God doesn't really make sense, that's the time to trust in Christ, trust in Christ's promises to us. He freely gave us eternal life with him. We can listen to him. So, trusting in God's goodness, don't be deceived, and listen to the promises of Christ.